I think so many of us know the uh, super famous characters in the Bible, right? Noah and Moses and Joseph and Esther, Ruth, David, Daniel. And if you've been coming to Grace Chapel for a while, you probably know some really obscure characters too, right? Like Shamgar and Obed-Edom, right? Some of our favorites here at Grace Chapel. But this morning, I want to talk about, we want to talk about some not too famous, but not too obscure characters in the Bible, and maybe go a little deeper into their story. I'm talking about Elizabeth and Zechariah. Scripture says that Zechariah is in the line or the descendant of Aaron. Zechariah is a priest. He's a priest, and he served during the reign, if you will, of King Herod. Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. And the scripture tells us that they were godly, they were devout, they were righteous in the sight of God. These were some, some people who truly looked to God for, for their lives. Both of them were from godly families. Um, Elizabeth was the daughter, again, of a priest, which kind of makes her a PK, right? Like a pastor's kid. So she's, she's more like a pastor's kid. And their heritage and their legacy, their legacy was one of obedience to God. And we talked about, remember we just got off the series talking about being set apart for God, right? Living a holy life. Well, their, their heritage, their legacy was one of being set apart for God, if you will, obedient to God and trusting in God and trusting in God's promises. So these were people who loved the Lord, who were obedient to the Lord, who cared so much about their lives and how they lived their lives as children of God. Now, when the Bible begins their story, it starts telling us about the fact that they were older, And they were childless because Elizabeth uh, could not conceive. And I'll tell you, they prayed and they prayed. They wanted a child and they prayed and they prayed, but she wasn't able to conceive. So they didn't have any children. And here's the thing. You've got to go back and you've got to look at the history of this, where they lived. At this point in history, you got married, okay, and then soon after you had children. I mean, these people really went along with God's word when it said, be fruitful and multiply. All right. They got married and it was, you know, have as many kids as you can. That's what was going on here. It was it was noble. um, It was a noble responsibility to have children, especially for a priest. This was a big deal for a priest to to have children. And so they watched the people around them. I want you to put yourself in their position. They're watching the people around them getting married and then having children and then, you know, uh, building a home, building a home for themselves and, and then having, again, having those children, building a home and building a legacy, right? Your children, the ongoing legacy you have. So for Elizabeth and Zachariah, To be in their old age and to be childless must have been extremely difficult. This must have been a real hardship for them. You think about it. Most people feel defined by what they have or choose to be defined by what they have. Right? So most people feel defined by what they have. 
But Elizabeth and Zechariah would have felt defined by what they didn't have. Ever been in that situation? Ever been in a situation where you felt defined by whatever the world, by what you, what you didn't have? Most of us in this room um, have been in a season of waiting. Every single person in this room over a certain age, you understand what I'm... You've been in a season of waiting. Or, right now, I know for a fact, there are a lot of people in this room that are in that season of waiting right now. The reality is, for believers, even though the waiting may be hard, it never leads to disappointment. Even though that waiting may be difficult, it never leads to disappointment. And the truth of that statement rests on entirely, entirely on what we think we're waiting for. You see, it doesn't lead to disappointment. It doesn't lead to disappointment for a follower of Jesus Christ. But that statement rests entirely on what we think we're actually waiting for. In other words... The, the, question, the question isn't simply, what am I waiting for? But then there's something added to it. What I'm hoping in. Not just what I'm waiting for, but what I am hoping in. Waiting and hoping that I'll get the right, right job. Right? Waiting and hoping that I'll, that I'll, that I'll, find, the, that I'll find the right job. See, here's the thing. Waiting and hoping are intimately tied together. Intimately. Waiting and hoping are woven together like the strands of a rope. You watch, you look at the rope, it's all, right? Waiting and hoping. It's, they're, they're, they connect with each other like the strands, like the strands of a rope. Like I said, we, are, we, we wait and hope for the right job. Wait and hope. We wait and hope. For, the, for a good report. We wait and hope for relief. Whatever it is, whatever that relief may be, we're waiting and hoping. We're waiting and hoping for a child. We're, we wait and we hope. But here's the, here's the big question this morning. What if those things aren't given? Okay, you've got Elizabeth and you, you, you've got Zechariah. Like I said in the very beginning, these people, they loved the Lord. They were righteous they were devout. They were holy. But what if you're, what if you're living for Christ and you're waiting and hoping and, 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 and those things aren't given? See, here's the thing. God, God never promises that after your season of waiting that you're, He's going to give you exactly what you're hoping for, exactly what you want. That's not a promise from God. That once you're done with the waiting, he's going to hand you exactly what you were asking for. So, so what do we do? What do we do in the meantime, right, guys? What do we do when we're in that hoping scenario? What do we do in the meantime? And what does what does obe- what does obedience in the waiting look like? Well, I asked Jen to come and answer that question. Let me ask you guys something. What was that? that? Might be me. I'm going to use this one because I'm not a nine foot tall giant. <laughs> and this one's impossible to move. Let me ask you guys something that maybe you can identify with. Have um, you ever been in a season of waiting where the waiting is made 
a lot harder by someone who seems to be the expert on the thing that you are waiting on, right? That person is like, oh, wait no longer. I have the answer because I am the expert and I'm the only expert and I can tell you exactly how to fix this. Like, for example, oh, so you're waiting for a new job. Um, Have you tried that website that literally everyone in the world knows about? Yes, 15 times, but thank you for the advice. Or, um, oh, you're waiting for your wayward child to come home. Have you tried praying? Oh, praying. We forgot praying. Praying. Thank you. Yes, praying. We've done it. Or my personal favorite, oh, you're waiting for a baby. Have you tried just not worrying about it? It's just your wor- It's your stress. Whenever you stop stressing about it, that's when it'll happen. Stop talking. <laughs> that should be the response to that advice all the time. Um, sometimes the waiting can be made harder by people who aren't joining in the waiting with you, but just observing your waiting. And it makes me want to go over here in a corner and go, I'm just going to wait over here by myself. See ya. And I'm not saying that advice and counsel is evil. It's wonderful. But as an encouragement to you, if you have a friend who is in a season of waiting, they probably don't need your advice as much as they need your presence. They probably don't need you to push them along as much as they need you to hold them close. And I can imagine that's exactly what Elizabeth and Zechariah needed. And this story is not just about Elizabeth. She was the one who was barren, was not able to conceive, but this story is about the two of them, their faith and their marriage. It says in scripture that they lived in the hill country. And I got to believe that they moved out to the hills to get away from the comments, the looks, all the advice, right? I can picture people coming around Zechariah and telling him to leave Elizabeth. At that time, barrenness or the inability to have a child was seen by some as divine disfavor, that you were being punished or something was being taken from you because of sin in your life. But we know that's not true because like he said, the Bible said they were godly and devout and righteous in the eyes of God. So that's not true. And it was also, barrenness was legal grounds for a priest to divorce his wife. So I can picture these people coming around Zechariah as his friends and telling him to leave Elizabeth, speaking out of the mouths of self-pity and resentment and bitterness whispering lies into his ears. But what I love about Zechariah, what I love about him, is that he did not see Elizabeth's barrenness as an invitation to get out. He saw it as an opportunity to trust that God's promises are true and they do not change, and that what looked like a contradiction to those promises was actually an opportunity to put his faith in his father and lean into his marriage. And how do I know this? Because the Bible tells me so. Okay, in Luke 1, we're going to read this together. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Men in the room, can I encourage you for one second? What if the thing your family is waiting on is waiting on your prayer? Right? (laughs) 
Amen. Because in this situation, God did not come to her, even though she was unable to conceive. He did not come to her. He came to the husband and he said, your prayer has been heard. Like I said, Zechariah didn't see this as an opportunity to get out of the marriage, but an opportunity to commit to prayer, prayer for his wife, prayer for his family. And I believe there are men in the room and in this world who are meant to be prayer warriors for their wives and prayer warriors for their families and for their children and for this church. And maybe the thing that God is getting you to see today is that if an angel were to show up to you tomorrow morning, in your car, on the way to work, at your office, at the breakfast table, in your backyard, wherever you are on a Monday morning, okay? Right after you peed yourself, because that's exactly what would happen if an angel showed up in your car. (laughs) If they said, your prayer has been heard, what would be the next sentence? Would there be anything... Because he said to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear a son. So what would be the next sentence for you? Our prayer is powerful. And we so often forget that. And we only will remember the power of our prayer when we stop clinging to the questions and the confusion. And we start clinging to the one who has all the answers. And we see that proved true for Elizabeth and Zechariah. We see the fruit of the prayer of their commitment to the Lord and to each other. In Luke 1, 22 and 23, it says, When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And that's it. The wait was over, their faith resulted in prayer and commitment, which God heard, and he answered, and now they have their happy ending. So roll the credits, that's the end of the story, right? And some of you are like, that's awesome, right? That's, you're really excited for them. And some of you are like, well, isn't that just great? Good for them, that's so great for them. Um, Some of you are genuinely annoyed that they got the fulfillment of their promise. You're like, that's great, but I'm still here, and I'm still waiting. And I haven't given up praying, and I haven't given up asking, but that question still remains in the back of my mind. God, do you see what I'm seeing right now? Because I don't have my happy ending, so I have no idea what to do with this story. And that is why the Bible is so good, because the story didn't end there for them either. And what I want to point you to now is the whole point of the Christmas season. What we're about to see in scripture is the first appearance of Jesus Christ in utero with the most famous mom in the world and her interaction with Elizabeth. And every time I read this, It gets me so excited. Like, I read this and I just get going. And you guys have seen me when I get going. It's like that combination of, like, awkward white girl praise dancing and mom shoulders. And it's it's not good. So I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep my cool right now while I read this. Um, But, man, when the truth hits you like this, there's nothing you can do but react and rejoice. So I just pray that the Holy Spirit reveals this to you the same way you revealed it to me. Let's read this together. In Luke 1, 39-45, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Okay, I want to unpack this. So like he said, Elizabeth, the daughter of a priest, right? A PK. I get that. Okay? Her whole life would have been filled with stories and truths about the coming of the Messiah. Okay? Everyone in her life would have been praying for the coming of the Messiah, encouraging her to pray for it. She would have been encouraging other people to pray for it. Right? Thousands of years, Genesis to Malachi, a Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming, he is on the way. And here she is, advanced in years, a baby in her womb, who as if he knows the promises of scripture, jumps inside of her like, Mom, it's him. I know you've been waiting for a baby this whole time, but I'm not even the baby you were waiting for. Right? All of time in creation to the fall in the garden and every moment since has been pointing to this child and mom. I cannot believe it. He's here. Do you see what I see? Right? And I love how little leaping John keeps that posture his entire life. Because little John in Elizabeth's womb grows up to be John the Baptist. From womb to wilderness, John was pointing to the promise of Jesus Christ. Look at this, John one twenty nine thirty. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. What he is saying is, The man I prepared the way for has already surpassed me because he has been and will be from eternity to eternity. From the time John was in the womb, he has been telling us what you're waiting for isn't the promise. It's the pathway to the promise. Right? What you're waiting for isn't the promise. It's the pathway to the promise. And is that not the lesson we are still trying to learn today? Do you ever wonder why life feels like one big long wait Right, You um, wait for a spouse, and then you get the spouse, and then you wait for some kids, and then you get the kids, and you wait for some quiet. <laughs> um, you graduate, you finally graduate, and you're waiting for a job, and then you're waiting for a raise, and then you're waiting to retire, right? Or you're waiting for healing, and it doesn't come. Or it does come, and you're waiting for an explanation, You're waiting for peace. We're waiting for um, answers. We're waiting for time to pass, to lessen our grief. If it feels like life is one big wait, it's because that's exactly what it is. But it's not the wait for what you think you're waiting for. Like Elizabeth, all those years, she was truly waiting for the appearance of Christ. And all we are waiting for is the appearance of Christ again, right? Think about it. That's why life feels like one big wait. Because we are waiting to see Jesus again. The book of Romans says that all of creation is groaning, waiting for the return of Christ. And so often, our waiting sounds like, God, when is this going to be over? 
God, how long is this going to take? We reach out to each other. We lean on each other. We ask for prayer. We ask people to come in and wait with us because we can't see the end of this season. But those prayers, those moments together as a church are vital. It's why we have church. Like it says in Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some as in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What day are they talking about? What day is coming? What day is approaching? The day that our waiting will finally be over is the day that the clouds finally part, the trumpet finally blasts, Jesus finally descends, and then the thing you think you're waiting for is going to be leaping for joy in the presence of the one we're all actually waiting for. What you're waiting for isn't the promise, but rather the pathway to the promise. And I can begin to live that way today because Jesus says, hey, I'm coming again. And what you're waiting for will not be in vain because in 2 Corinthians it says every single one of God's promises find their yes in me. 1 Peter says to set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you upon the appearance of Christ. Waiting and hope go together. When you're waiting for something, there is something hoped for at the end. Set your hope on the grace that will be given to you upon the appearance of Christ. And I I promise I know that so much of waiting involves pain, right? I'm not diminishing that pain. I'm saying even your pain is a pathway to a deeper longing of what we really need, what we really want to see, the return of Christ, the presence of Jesus. Look, for the one who is coming is greater than everything you're waiting for. And when he finally returns, all of your waiting will not be in vain. And I know there's going to be some like, she doesn't know what's going on in my life because 2016 Jen would want to flick 2019 Jen right in the forehead for saying all this stuff. Um, In 2016, it was hard for me when people would tell this truth to me for me to feel like they understood what I was actually going through, though. This truth can't actually apply to what I'm feeling, right? Um, In 2016, I call it the tunnel season, as in no light at the end of the... (laughs) It's really a lot easier to wait when you go, okay, there's the finish line. The doctor's going to call in 45 minutes. I I can do 45 minutes, right? Just put on a great British baking show and just plow right through this time. It's going to go right by. Or six months from now, this is going to be over, right? When you're in labor, you're like just... The baby has to come out eventually. Can't stay in there forever, right? There's a finish line. The waiting... When you can't see the finish line, like homeward bound, you know, you like, they get there, like, just gotta get to the top of those mountains. That was my shadow impression. They get up there, and they're like, there it is. Just kidding. It's just miles of more mountains, right? When you get to around the corner, and it's just more tunnel, that's really hard to wait. Because the waiting could be over in 20 minutes, or 20 days, or 20 years, or never. And in 2016, for me, there was a lot of, there's some stuff going on, but 
the, one of the hardest things was that I lost my voice, like gone, gone, voice gone for about eight months. And I spent months up here leading worship with my hands and desperately wanting the church to see God. And I will be honest, there were some Sundays I really struggled. And there was one Sunday in particular, I walked off stage and I thought, it is so hard to want the church to see God when I feel like he doesn't see me, right? Because my silence over that long period of time started to make me feel invisible. I couldn't sing and praise God the way that I had my whole life. I couldn't enter a conversation and have an opinion. I couldn't encourage my kids or praise them. My, my youngest was only three months old. And I couldn't sing her to sleep or talk little baby sounds to her. I couldn't have a long conversation with my husband at the end of the day. I felt invisible. And there was a moment where this little part of me that knew that I was called to be a worship leader that started to break a little bit. I started to doubt my entire life's calling. How can I do this if I can't do this? And all the lies that I usually kept out with these holy barricades that I keep up around me so they can't get in, those barricades just fell and the lies were just flooding in. And when you're silenced, you're just listening. And when that silence lasts longer and longer, you become hyper aware of what you're listening to. And at that moment, I could only hear lies. And I think that most people have been in that place or even further where you just get heartbroken enough that you stop caring, right? That's right, people. Look at me. I don't even care anymore. I am mad because God has not done what I want him to do fast enough. He has not fulfilled His promises to me on my timeline. So that means he doesn't fulfill promises. Now when I say that out loud up here, it's like, whoa. It sounds immature. It sounds indignant. Right? Nothing any of us would actually say. But it doesn't sound so wrong in your head, does it? Right? When you invite resentment and bitter and self-pity over to your house and you tell them about your situation and you ask them what they think, it doesn't sound so wrong when they say those things, right? He promised you all these things and then he just left you here with what? He doesn't even care about what happens to you. He doesn't even know what's going on with you. You think you're so much better off following him, trusting in him. Where has that gotten you? Hmm? You probably brought this on yourself. Any of that sound familiar? It is far too easy to view God's character through the lens of our situation than it is the other way around. Right? So in this situation, I have a decision to make either I say my situation is awful and I'm still waiting and this is taking forever and you don't understand the pain so that must mean God is withholding and unloving and invisible and unjust right that comes far too easily you can start walking down that road or you can turn and walk with God and say here's what I know to be true Here's what I know to be true. 
God is loving, and he is just, and he is patient, and he is present, and he is faithful, so my situation is under control. Because even if I never got my voice back, right, even the rocks can cry out, so, so can I. There was a song that came out around that time, Catch the Wind, and there's a line that says, I know you hear my heart, I'm singing out. And that was it. That, that for me, was that reminder. I know you hear my heart, so I'm singing out. I can start walking with God in a direction that requires faith, surrender, trust, and obedience. Or... I can just hang back with these losers, self-pity and bitterness and resentment, and let them just keep telling me lies because sometimes self-pity feels good, and I just want to hang back with these losers. This morning, I know there are hearts desperate to be out of this season of waiting. But I want you to listen to what this psalmist says in Psalm 135 and 6. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen for the morning. He's comparing waiting expectantly on the Lord to the night guards of the city who would watch the passage of time in anticipation of the sun rising. Okay? So then they would be relieved of their post. The coming of the dawn was certain, but not without the passage of time. Waiting means confident expectations. It's an expectation based on knowledge and trust. And I want to take a moment, I want you guys to take a moment with me to let God stomp out the lies and tell you truth. Right? Right now, in your mind, I want you to tell resentment and bitterness and self-pity to go back down to hell where they belong. To get out of your situation, to get out of your head, to get out of your heart. And then I want you to wait and listen to what God has to say over your situation. Would you guys just close your eyes for a second? And focus in on that. God says, I see you crying, begging, and tired, but I am doing something new in you. He says, I will not give gifts that might destroy our relationship, only ones that will strengthen it. I don't want to even tell you that what you desire is coming because then that will be what your heart desires most. Instead, I want to tell you that I love you, that I can be trusted. Walk with me, trust me, because I do have good plans for you. But don't pursue good plans more than you pursue me as a good God, as a good father. My plans and what I can do for you are secondary to the promise of who I am. I know you are tired and weak. I know you feel second best. I know many of you feel isolated and angry and misunderstood. And I know this because I know you. And I know you because I am right there with you. 
I am here with you and believe me when I say your waiting is not in vain. What you want, what you need, it is mine to give, not yours to take and I will give it to you at the right time. Trust me from the bottom of your heart. Do not try to figure everything out on your own. You can sit in the fake reality of waiting forever or you can walk with me in the reality of waiting right now. Do not let this season of waiting create in you a spirit of restlessness full of anxiety and frustration and fear. I am not holding out on you. I am setting up for you. guys can open your eyes no matter what you are waiting for no matter what the apparent contradiction of his promise looks like know that he is not holding out on you he is setting up for you our waiting doesn't always end with the thing that we think we're waiting for which means that our hope cannot be anchored in the thing we think we're waiting for our hope has to be anchored in something far greater on the promises and the character of god if jesus christ sent to earth in a manger is not proof that god will not hold out on us but that he will fulfill his greatest promises to us right so now what are you waiting for if we are going to trust our good father more than his good plans then what are we waiting for What is it going to take to get you to realize that he is what you are waiting for? When I ask that question, what are you waiting for? If God asked that question, what are you waiting for? God, I'm waiting for my child to come back home. God, I am waiting for my spouse to know you and to love you and to see you, God. God, I'm waiting for this relationship to be healed. I'm waiting for my body to be healed. I'm waiting for my heart to be healed. God, I'm waiting for this trauma I experienced to stop dictating my thoughts and my life. God, I'm waiting for answers. I'm waiting for a spouse. I'm waiting for a child. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and we're waiting. But remember that God isn't holding out on you. He is setting up for you and for me I know that the wait is made so much easier by letting people come alongside me and wait with me. It is almost impossible to wait well alone. People coming around you, praying over you, create powerful moments of fellowship that we only experience through the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite the prayer team, any of the pastors, elders in the room to come up to the front now as we close. I know that most of the time we do not get a choice if we wait, right? But one thing I do know is that we get a choice of whether we worship while we wait. I know that worship My own personal worship has made the waiting bearable for me, right? There have been moments in my life where I feel like I am in a dark place and I can still lift my hands and say that you are a God who will not let me down. 
no matter how much time goes by, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much the world is trying to stop me from following you, God, I will still lift my hands and say, you will never let me down. Not when I can see the promise, but when I can trust that you're leading me towards the promise. When everything I'm waiting for is pointing back to the promise that you came and forward to the promise that you're coming again, I will lift my hands and sing, you, God, will never let me down. We serve a good God. So no matter what you are waiting for or how long you've been waiting, the thing you don't have to wait to do today is worship and ask for help. We are a family. Everybody in this room, you step foot on this campus, in this room, you are part of this family. We worship together. We ask for help as a family. And we are in the wait together. If you need help, if you feel ready to give up, or if you are just in that season of waiting, if you feel too far outside of the love and the truth of what I'm saying, I want to invite you to step back in. Come in even closer. And I want to ask everybody to stand now. I'm going to pray over us. And when I say amen, do not hesitate. Do not pause. Do not wonder what anyone else in the room is doing or going to do. If you need prayer, come forward and get prayer. Husbands, if you know your wife is going through a difficult season and she needs prayer and she feels alone, grab her hand and walk her forward. Let somebody pray over her. Wives, the same thing. If your husband is in a season of struggling and he's feeling alone or isolated or just a difficult situation, grab his hand and bring him forward. That's how we love each other, right? We pray over each other. We're here for each other. I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, don't hesitate. Don't pause. Just come forward. Stop waiting to experience the goodness of our Father. Father, you are good. And I just boldly declare over each person, every heart in this room, that no matter what is going on in their life, I just pray against the spirit of apathy, God, that, what, that this prayer isn't what somebody needs. That this response of worship and asking for help doesn't apply to them, God. I pray against the spirit of bitterness and the spirit of resentment and pride. And most suspense, the spirit of self-pity, God. We pray against the enemy and whatever plans he has over this area of our life. Satan, your invitation is to leave. And Holy Spirit, yours is to come in and move Would you stir in us, God, a spirit of confident expectation that the sun is going to rise? Would you just inspire in us a childlike trust in you, our Father, that no matter what the world says, that we will take you at your word and your word says that you are good. So we believe that now, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.